We talk about connecting with a couple during the inquiry process, but what does that actually mean? And how does it impact the professional relationship you have with potential clients? In this episode, I'll share with you lessons I learned over 25 years in hospitality, including the top book I know to make you better at getting people to like you, six principles to live by when you're trying to connect with others, and three areas in the sales process you can implement concrete ideas to get more bookings. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who want to grow with proven approaches. I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales, pricing, and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I've booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets. Now I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one, because we aren't born knowing everything. Like you, I had experts who showed me the way when I was starting out and when I was ready to level up. I hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business. I'm going to take you back 20 plus years ago. Young Sam, 23-year-old Sam. I just graduated college, University of Puget Sound, go loggers. And I needed to get a job. I wanted to make money. I had it in my mind that I wanted to be a writer. I want to write for magazines. I want to travel the world. Maybe take photographs too. I don't know, National Geographic, travel and leisure, something like that. So I went up to the San Juan Islands and I did what it was that I'd been doing all throughout college, which was to work in restaurants and make good money. I worked hard. In college, I graduated without having any debt because I worked during the years. And I decided to take that experience and apply it to this new resort that my parents lived near. And it was great. I loved it. I made good money. I had a lot of fun. I met a lot of great people and they were from all over the world. And it just excited my passion for writing even more. So I went with my girlfriend at the time down to Arizona. I got a job as a editor of sorts for a magazine based out of Scottsdale. And I mean, I was working for peanuts. $7.50 $7.50 an hour, 20 hours a week. I moved all the way across the country from north to south for that job, 150 bucks a week. But it gave me a chance to get my name in print and build a portfolio. Well, within a few weeks of moving down there, if you can believe it, I actually got a Dear Sam letter. And I decided that it was time for me to move on. Move on from Arizona, move on from that particular magazine. And so I left and I hopped on a plane and went to Paris. With all the money I had made in that summer after graduation, And I decided I was going to give it a shot like so many other American writers. I know, a bit of an idealist and a fantasy, really. But I wrote freelance articles. I got paid. I blew through my money. I read. I journaled. hung out with my best friend. And it was a great several months. I flew back to the United States and decided I want to be a teacher. That's how I was going to apply my writing. I was going to be a teacher. Instead of just writing in magazines to teach people about the world, I was going to Go to a classroom and teach kids, not much younger than me, how to be successful students. So I started taking graduate school courses at Portland State University, but I knew that I wanted to get into college professorship. And to make that happen in the area that I wanted to, medieval Spanish history, I had to learn Latin. Now, I didn't take any Latin when I was in college, which is what most undergraduates would do if they wanted to apply for a PhD program. So I had to teach myself. So I spent an entire winter upstairs in the attic of the house that I was renting with my mom and my sister, and I taught myself Latin. During the day, I worked construction 
to pay the bills. And eventually, I got screwed out of a bunch of money that I was supposed to make from my high school best friend who had employed me on his construction team. So there I was, almost two years now, after I graduated college, I was broke, way in debt, trying to figure out a way to get into graduate school so that I could do what I wanted to do with my life, ran down a bunch of dead ends. And I wasn't able to get anywhere. This was the dot-com bubble burst. This was the recession after that. 9-11 had happened, and the U.S. economy hadn't recovered. So I did the only thing I thought that I could, which was to figure out a way to pay the bills. So I moved back up to San Juan Island. I went with my buddy, the same guy that I ended up living with while I was over in Paris after I got my Dear Sam letter. And we got a little spot on my parents' property and set up a two-person tent and camped for the summer while I worked making 15 bucks an hour managing in the restaurant that I worked at two years before. Now, I had no idea at the time, but that decision would alter the course of my life forever. Eventually, I started paying off my debt. And I finally found that steady employment after a couple of years of ups and downs, that was actually really nice. Even if I wasn't making very much, and I was still working in the same spot, doing the same kind of things I've been doing since I was 16 years old, working in restaurants. But in the aftermath of the dot-com recession, it gave me some stability, something steady. I bought a house, I met my first wife, and we had Emily, our sweet kiddo. Also, I fell in love with the challenges of managing people. I wasn't serving tables anymore, I was managing big teams, sometimes 50, 60, 70 people at a time. And it was incredible. I loved it. But I also had no training, zero training. I mean, it was literally, here's the manager's card for voiding things and refunding stuff on the computers. Pat on the back, good luck. And somehow I survived my first few years, probably just on instinct and a little bit of charisma. Now, eventually, after working in the bar and in the restaurant, I was moved into events and the event manager position was, you could consider it a department manager position. And really cool for me at the age of 28, I got invited to the weekly manager meetings. It was fun. Eventually, after a few months, I got promoted from event manager to lodging director. And that was, that was a big deal for me. I was 28 when I made lodging director. I was 20 years younger than the average manager at the property. I remember looking around at those weekly meetings on Thursdays and I was like, do I really belong here? These guys are so much older and more experienced than me. It was overwhelming. It was scary. But it was also really exciting. I was responsible for 10,000 room nights a year, several millions in revenue and expenses. And I had somewhere around 50-ish people under my supervision during the peak parts of the year. Now, my boss, Brent, the GM, he taught me a ton about what it was like to lead and manage people. More than anything, I remember his sayings. We worked together for a long time, a decade, side by side. And he and I, we talked about a lot of stuff. Some of my favorite sayings, people do what you inspect, not expect. You don't have to like them, but you have to learn to work with them. He also taught me that managers like me and the ones that I was training were responsible for five things, setting clear expectations, providing adequate tools and resources, providing excellent training, measuring performance, and providing feedback. He also said, if you can't find the time to make the weekly manager's meeting, something is wrong and we have bigger issues to worry about. One of my most vivid memories 
of those managers meetings was the day he showed up with a big box. It was filled with books and it wasn't a bunch of different titles. It was one book, one title. And they were how to win friends and influence people. That was his favorite book of all time. And being young and impressionable and learning a lot from him as my mentor at the time, I thought I'm going to learn this book better than him. I read that how to win friends and influence copy that I got that day several times a year, every year for years. I probably read that book 20 times. And I started to embed those principles in my daily behaviors. Never criticize, condemn, or complain. Show honest and sincere appreciation. The only way to win an argument is to not engage in one in the first place. Give the other person a fine reputation to live up to. If you're wrong, admit it quickly and emphatically. Appeal to nobler motives. Make the fault seem easy to correct. Dramatize your ideas. These are words and wisdom that I lived by. So many great lessons from this book on how to get along with other people. Now, if you've read this book, you know that it's broken down into a few different sections. I think there's like 21 or 24 different principles. But one of the major sections is devoted to getting people to like you. It's in the title, right? How to get people to like you. So what does getting people to like you have to do with booking more weddings or booking more weddings at higher prices? Well, one of these six main principles of influence that we know of from a different great book called Influence by Robert Cialdini We know that there are these six principles of influence, and one of them is liking. The more people like you, the more you are able to persuade them, to influence them, to impact them. The others are reciprocity, commitment and consistency, authority, scarcity, social proof. And this liking is really, really powerful. These are two of the handful of books that I really treat as a reference guide for success in the sales world. And I want to dig in a little bit on these six different ways that Dale Carnegie talks about liking that you can pick up on. And I'm going to show you how to apply them to the buyer's journey, to your sales process. So Dale Carnegie, what does he have to say about getting people to like you? Number one, become genuinely interested in other people. Number two, smile. I know that seems so silly, but I'm telling you, there's not enough smiles going on. Number three, remember that a person's own name is the sweetest sound in any language. Number four, be a good listener. Encourage others to talk about themselves. Number five, talk in terms of the other person's interests. And number six, make the other person feel important and do it sincerely. So become genuinely interested in other people. Smile. Remember that a person's own name is the sweetest sound in any language. Be a good listener. Encourage others to talk about themselves. Talk in terms of the other person's interests and make the other person feel important and do it sincerely. So these are the six different principles that Dale Carnegie talks about in How to Win Friends and Influence People that are based on how to get people to like you. And we know from Robert Cialdini that getting people to like you or having them like you is one of the big things that we need to do if we want to make an impact and influence them. So where can you apply these principles in your sales process to make the biggest impact? I'm going to talk about three different areas. Number one, inquiry responses. So somebody inquires, you're going to send out your inquiry response. This is a great first opportunity to get people to like you. Now, you're not actually having a conversation with them in person. 
or with some back and forth. But in a way, the email correspondence is back and forth. It is communications. It's correspondence, written correspondence. And you can get people to like you. And one of the great ways to do that is to remember that it is a conversation. Meaning you have to go back and forth. Now, they have questions and clues that they've dropped in the correspondence so far that you can respond to. One of those things that you can do is you can ask people questions about the information that they do end up sharing. And it could be any number of things. Some inquiries I will give you are simple and probably don't have a lot of information in them. Are you available? How much does it cost? Can you send over your pricing and packages? Those kinds of things. But a lot of times people are filling in that that open form field that you should have on your contact form. You know, what else should I know? Tell me more about the wedding. Anything else you'd like to share? That form field, that's a gold mine. For people who are actually interested in your services, they're going to put some stuff in there. And you want to respond to those questions and ask them more questions. They're going to probably list out a date or a venue. You can even ask questions about those. Again, show interest in what it is that they have shared. Make them feel important. Be genuinely interested in what they have going on. So ask about their venue. How did they choose it? What's their favorite part about it? If it's a venue that you're familiar with, share what you love about it and ask them if they found that too. You can do the same thing with a date. Talk about why you love spring dates or that particular month or if they're getting married on a three-day weekend, how awesome it is that their friends and family are going to be able to come over for more than just one night. Whatever it is, find something to connect with them on. Personalize the email with their names, both of them. Don't just start off with a salutation that says, hi, use their first name. And if you have somebody who inquires, let's say Steve inquires, but Steve and Sarah are both getting married, call Sarah out by name. If he puts that in the inquiry form, call her out by name. Recognize her. Remember, the person's own name, sweetest sound in any language. But above all, you've got to remember that a personal connection is going to be the best reason to get on the phone. And what do you want to connect with them on? You want to hear more about what they have in mind for the wedding. All right? Take a page out of Dale Carnegie. Become interested in them. Become interested in what they are doing. Make them feel important. Get them to talk about themselves. Give them a good reason to get on the phone. And that reason is because you want to hear more about what they have going on for their wedding, what they're doing with their wedding, what's important to them with their wedding. And then when you hear that, you can then give them what ultimately they want, which is specific information about pricing and products. All right, so that's the inquiry response. Second area that you can connect with people in a meaningful way to get them to like you is on the discovery call. And this is, frankly, where you have the most opportunity to put into practice the principles that Carnegie talks about. Now, this idea of smiling, we used to train the reservationists and front desk attendants and telephone operators, which was my department at the resort. We would train them to smile on the phone. If I didn't see them smiling while they were talking to somebody on the phone, even though there was no video going on, I knew that we weren't doing the things that we needed to to connect with people. You can tell when somebody is smiling when they're on the phone. So if you're on the phone, smile, even if people can't see you. And most importantly, if you are on Zoom, if you are doing a video call, you have got to greet them with a warm smile. Pretend that you are that front desk attendant that's greeting somebody when they first walk into the lobby. You make eye contact, you smile, you greet them verbally. 15 feet, 10 feet, 5 feet. That's what you're doing. 
that smile is super important. Also, one of the things that we used to train people on at the resort was to use the guest by name. Remember the guest by name? That is the best thing. When I was working in the bar or in the fine dining restaurant, at events, at the hotel, wherever it was, down in the marina, I didn't work there, but boy, they were great at recognizing people by name. Even if they had not come back for a year, if they stopped by our marina for one week on their way up to Alaska or the Gulf Islands, and they came in, hey, John, Sarah, so good to see you again. How's little Timmy? How's, how, how's he doing at baseball? Whatever it was, you can remember that name and some little fact about somebody. I mean, they are friends for life. So use their name. Do it a few times early and often on the discovery call. Ask questions instead of talking about your process. I hear so much from people that they get them on a phone call and then they walk them through, basically read a bunch of things that they could have just put on their website, in an email, or on some piece of collateral. Or they walk them through a slide deck. Boring. Don't do that. Ask questions. Get them talking. It's not about you, it's about them. And get them talking about things that they know about and like and that they find important. Ask them questions that they can answer and articulate and get passionate about. Listen all the way to the end of the answer. Do not interrupt. I was reading in a book that the average person, when in a conversation, is talking back and forth with a person. The gap between when one person finishes and the next person starts talking is actually a negative. On average, in most conversations, according to this one particular study, people don't actually get to end their sentences before they're interrupted. How crazy is that? Think about that. Next time you're in a conversation with somebody, are you cutting them off? Are you giving them more than half a second rest between what they say and what you respond? The more time that you let lapse, the more you show them that you were paying attention. Another thing you can do to show them that you're paying attention is to ask or offer what are called support responses rather than shift responses. So support responses support and encourage the person who is talking to keep talking. It supports the direction, the continuation of that conversation. Now, a shift response is what it sounds like. It shifts the response or it shifts the conversation based on your response. So an example of this is if somebody starts talking about a venue, for instance, that they picked and you're, you hear them, you wait for them to finish, but then you say, oh my gosh, that's my favorite venue. I remember this one time at this wedding. That's a shift response. You shifted it from them and what they were talking about to you and what you want to talk about. A support response would be something along the lines of, wow, that's incredible. Tell me more. Or how did you find that out? Or what did you do next? Those are support responses that get people talking, make them feel heard, and show genuine interest. Third area that you can make an impact that Dale Carnegie would smile about is your proposal. And this is where you can show them so many of the principles that Carnegie talks about. Number one, go through your current proposal or pricing guide and see what you talk about in the opening of the proposal. What's the first thing that you bring up? I'm betting it's you. I'm betting it's you. You talk about your services, your process, why you are so excited to work with them, what you do best, what you're known for, magazines or publications that you've been in, blogs, whatever, awards you've won. It's probably something about you. Just take the first page or two. 
go through, see what it's like. I'm guessing it's something like that. Instead, what you want to do is you want to make it about them. This is their wedding, not yours. Start by putting their names at the top. This is the equivalent of using their names in a conversation. Put it at the top. Sarah and Steve, getting married on this date and time. Super excited to tell you a little bit more about what you got going on. So that's a great little hook for them to recognize it's about them. Then, after you show them that you're personalizing this proposal for them, reflect back on what you heard them say on the discovery call in the opening paragraphs. You told me that these things were important. You told me that you were concerned about these things. You told me that this is a high priority for your wedding and the services that I offer. Let them know that right away. Remind them of it. Remind them not only of what they said, but remind them that you were listening and paying attention. Show them that you were by reflecting it back to them. Use their exact words if possible. Write those exact words down. When I'm on a discovery call, and I've done this for 15 years, I'm writing down in quotes the exact words and underlining the important ones that people emphasize. Because I'm going to reflect them back to the person who was talking to me and let them know, hey, this is familiar. I use these words too. It's called mirroring. One of the things that you can do for mirroring. And it's incredibly effective. So those are three different areas. The inquiry response, the discovery call, and the proposal. How to Win Friends was written 100 years ago. But the principles in the book may be more true now than ever before. The clients that we're trying to work with, they're getting hit with thousands of marketing messages every day. Thousands. It's information overwhelm. It's like an avalanche coming at them all the time. And pretty soon, people tune it out. It's also really hard to connect on a personal level with people because we do so much in the digital world, especially with texting and messaging, social media. There's no voice. Humans want to connect. And one of the best ways to do that is by having a conversation. Even doing a phone call is going to put you out front of all of the other vendors. If you want to stand out in the crowded marketplace, especially at higher levels where you're charging more money, you must personalize the experience and get the other person to like you. Boom. That's it for this episode on Own Your Business. If you've heard me on a stage or a workshop or someone else's podcast, you know I have a hard time keeping it short, but I know you're busy. So thanks for spending time with me today. You have a ton of options for guides when it comes to getting you to where you want to go. I hope you found someone you can continue to trust. If you have a friend who could use practical strategies to own their business, please share this episode with them. If you can't think of anyone in particular, we'd settle for a quick review on whatever podcast platform you listen through. 